You're listening to the RV Homeschool Podcast, where we make travel educational and fun. Grab your shades and your sunscreen as we travel today to the Florida Keys. And welcome to the RV Homeschool Podcast. Today we are talking about the Florida Keys and why it's such a great place to go with your kids. So let's get started with geography. So where are the Florida Keys? Well, as you can imagine, they are in Florida. They're actually way at the bottom tip of Florida. And they're a collection of, well, not really islands, but keys. The difference between a key and an island is that an island is geologically built. So a volcano, continental plates, things like that have shifted and made the landmass that is the island. A key, on the other hand, is biologically made. So birds and sea animals have brought in debris and different things that have built up a landmass over the reef. So the Florida Keys are at the base tip of Florida and they extend out into the ocean. So the Atlantic Ocean is along one side, the Gulf of Mexico on the other. And when we're talking about traveling in Florida, it is actually about 10 hours to get from the top of Florida down to the base of Florida. So on a road trip, this of course will probably take you a few days. And then when you do get down to the tip of Florida and the last town that you pretty much hit is Homestead, you still have a two hour plus drive on the overseas highway. The overseas highway is the highway stretch that uh, goes across all of the different keys, taking you all the way from Key Largo at the top down to Key West at the base. When you want to stay in the Florida Keys, you may actually have to stay at a low point in Florida, maybe outside of Homestead or Miami, the day before you're actually going to have your stay in the Florida Keys. Uh, might just depend on how late you can check into your RV park and how much time you expect it to take but plan for a bit of driving so florida is a big state and it takes a while to drive across it and it takes a while to drive across those keys as well so in terms of the keys really there's kind of four sections of the keys i guess you could say the first part is the upper keys and here we're talking about places like key largo and isla morada the types of places that you can see here are the John Pennekamp Coral Reef State Park, which is beautiful from what I've seen in pictures. We didn't actually stop there. And then the Theater of the Sea looks like a lot of fun. And I heard from some locals that this is a great place to explore. It's kind of like an aquarium, but has some other added features, maybe more SeaWorld-ish, where there's actually interaction with the dolphins and the different wildlife, and they have trainers there. So it gets to be a very fun interactive thing for the family. As you continue down through the Keys, you get into Marathon, and Marathon's really your last town. So if you're looking, well, I mean, there's other towns, but if you're looking for certain resources or something that you're not sure you're going to find in a smaller community, Marathon's really your last chance to buy some of those things. So we needed some random part for the RV, and we figured that this was our last chance to buy it <laughs> before uh, we went further down in the Keys. And again, that was the case up until you get to Key West. And then Key West has a lot of big stores and things that you might expect of a big city. After you pass through Marathon, you drive over the Seven Mile Bridge, 
And this is just what it sounds like. It's seven miles worth of bridge where you actually don't have any land underneath you. You are just traveling through the huge blue ocean. And um, it's a really serene experience. It's a little intimidating being on this small two lane with your um, actually, there's two lanes going in each direction, so it's not quite so bad. But if there was an accident or something, it certainly would delay your plans being stuck there in your rig. Um, especially in our case, we had our RV and a towed vehicle. But we luckily didn't have any problems and were able to clear through this. No big deal. As you pass through the Seven Mile Bridge, you get to the Lower Keys. And Bahia Honda is kind of on your left at this point in time. And Bahia Honda is a beautiful state park, definitely a great place to visit. You can actually stay here, although they have a limited number of spots. And actually after Hurricane Irma a few years ago, there was even more limitation on the spot. So I'm not sure they're up to full capacity. And being a Florida state park, it's a hard one to get into for RVs, but it's a beautiful place to visit and you could just go do a day trip. And we did. Another great thing about Bahia Honda is there's some really neat architectural details. And what I mean by that is as you're driving on the overseas highway, you're on the major highway that is actually relatively new. There's an older highway stretch where the railroad track actually used to go and the trains would bring people down to Key West many years ago. That has long since been broken down in areas, so that path doesn't even continue all the way down, but there's still giant sections of it that's still standing. In fact, most most of it's still standing. There's big sections, though, where the road just randomly ends, and one of those sections is in Bahia Honda. So you can be sitting on the beach and looking out, and you're seeing this old railway bridge and all this area with this big section of it missing and it's really unique we actually were able to watch the sunset go through here and it offered some beautiful photography so a great place to visit the the um, sand is really pleasant and wonderful and it's nice and shallow at the beginning part so the kids can snorkel and wade through it and do all of that and then it gets a little bit deeper as you go out but great spot we also stayed on the lower keys really towards the end of the lower keys in a place called saddle bunch keys and this was about 20 minutes outside of key west and that worked just fine for us the last part of the keys is of course key west so some people fly directly into key west other people sometimes fly into tampa Florida and then there's a little ferry boat that can take people into Key West obviously we were in our RV and so we were driving down we stayed stayed at the Saddle Bunch Keys and then just drove our Jeep in for day trips into Key West. Key West is really what I'm focusing on for this podcast and we're going to start talking about some of the great things for you and your family to see in Key West. So really, I think the first thing to know about traveling around in Key West is that you are not going to want to be driving your RV in Key West. The roads are really tight. There's areas where it's just in one direction, and so you wouldn't even be able to travel um, with an RV because it's just not wide enough. We had trouble sometimes with our Jeep getting into areas. So it's definitely not the kind of place that you want to be pulling your 37 foot RV. And we certainly didn't do that. We got into Saddle Bunch Keys where we were staying. We parked the rig and then we just kept our Jeep with us the whole time. 
in terms of where you're going to park and what you're going to do with your vehicle in Key West. Oh, and by the way, you can rent a vehicle in Key West too. We saw some Jeep rentals. There's other car rentals. So if you don't have a towed vehicle with you, you're in a class C or A and you don't have a towed or, um, if for some reason you, you just need a rental vehicle, there's plenty of options. You can even rent scooters and motorcycles and all sorts of fun things. I don't know the pricing on that because we didn't need to utilize that, but there are options available. In terms of parking your vehicle within Key West, everywhere is paid parking. And usually that it's just machines that are at the different parking structures and you can put in a credit card and pay for how much time you expect to be there. And I think that it pretty much was about $2 an hour anywhere where we went. Um, you probably wouldn't have to pay for parking if you were going to a restaurant or someplace like that and you were only going to be there a limited time. For most of the general kind of street parking and being near Duval Street and stuff, you're, you're looking at paid parking. So now that we've talked about parking, where are some of the great places that you wanna park your vehicle and go see? The first place I wanna talk about was probably our favorite place that we visited, and that was Fort Zachary Taylor State Park. And so this is an old fort, a really old fort. This was actually a, an in-use fort up until the last century, and you can see how it's built. You can climb around actually on quite a bit of stuff. You can see the old barracks area, the chapel, where they would eat food, all sorts of interesting things. There's a junior ranger program with this state park, just like there are with all of the Florida state parks. And I'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. The fort also offers a lot of opportunities to get some great photographs and of course talk about this time in history and the importance of protecting those borders and what that meant during a time where a lot of traffic coming into the United States was via ships. So great opportunity to learn a lot there. The other wonderful thing about Fort Zachary Taylor State Park is their beach. We actually liked this beach the most of the beaches that we went to, but there's a few unique things that are worth knowing about it. So the beach is the only natural beach in Key West. And what I mean by that is most of the other beaches have kind of been groomed and sand has been brought in. So it's nice and soft sand and you're going right into the water. And that's wonderful. And there's certainly a place for that. What's interesting though about Zachary Taylor State Park is that the beach is still the rugged natural rocks and the experience that was the natural beach of Florida. So you have these big boulders and the and this rock that's along there and you're kind of um, climbing into down into water pools and areas where the where the water's kind of shallow and it's not very deep in those spots and it's really clear and then you can go around some boulders and get into some bigger bigger pools and further into the ocean. The one thing to know about this is that it looks really cool and it's really neat to see a natural beach, but you do want to bring river shoes. So we had a different combination of shoes, things like Tevas, Keens, Crocs, stuff like that, where you can protect your feet because it is rocky and it's a little bit painful if you were in bare feet. So you want to be sure that you have some sort of water safe shoes that you can wear while you're in there and not flip-flops because those are going to go away as soon as the tide comes up. But uh, something that has a strap and will stay on your feet and the kids will be a lot happier if they have that with them. The other thing is if you do want a beach that is kind of the white sand and just something that's soft and you don't have to worry about having river shoes, Smathers Beach is just up the road. This is 
probably one of the most popular spots for weddings down in Key West. Actually, they were setting up for two weddings when we went to visit there. There's just some parking along the street. So as you drive up along the street to get to Smathers Beach, you can just park right there. Probably if it's not super busy, we were fine getting a spot, but it was the middle of the week. I I bet on the weekends, it's a little bit harder to get in there. That's some of the details about Fort Zachary Taylor State Park. Oh, one of the things I wanted to mention was the Junior Ranger Program for the Florida State Parks. I think the Florida State Parks really have a wonderful program when it comes to Junior Rangers. They just have it set up really well and it works throughout the different parks and they're really open and upfront about how you do the different things and all the components that you can get. And so what I mean by that is there's a core packet that the kids complete for the basic junior ranger badge. And I mean, it's not basic. It's one of the really nice plastic badges, similar to the ones you get at the national parks. But there's also different packets that they have that are related to four different sections. So they have natural resources, cultural resources, recreation, and service. And each of those have their own packets. And by packets, I mean, they're like eight to 10 page Um, colored packets that are put together that the kids work through and do different activities. And if they complete enough of the activities in these four supplemental packets, then they can earn a pin. And my kids didn't do the pin, but they went all the way to the badge. If they do three activities in each of those four sections, then they earn a badge. And this is a full heavy duty badge that you can stitch onto a junior rager um, jacket or in our case on our quilts that we're, we do for the girls. It's really cool that Florida has all this set up for their junior ranger program. And when you go into Fort Zachary Taylor and you pay at the entrance fee, and by the way, I think the cost was like $3 for the car. Just ask the ranger then that you have some junior rangers in the car and they will give you the packets to get started. And if you're spending time in Florida, which you are, if you drove down there in your RV, then you will have plenty of time to go to at least three different parks and complete a lot of the activities and get all the way to a badge. So that's some of the details about Fort Zachary Taylor State Park. For sure, add that on your list of things to see. The next thing that we really enjoyed was the Eco Discovery Center. And this is actually, you can actually see it from the entrance of Fort Zachary Taylor State Park. It's just kind of across the street. There's actually a playground right between the two, so you can stop there and play. But the Eco Discovery Center is basically kind of like an aquarium. They have a big reef tank, and then they have a bunch of interactive displays where there's educational information about the reefs and about ocean life and exploring the ocean. There's areas where kids can climb into things. They can touch things, hear things, very interactive. I think the center in general is about 6,000 square feet. So it's not small by any means. And um, it's free. That's the best part. It's free. Now, of course, anytime you have a place that's free, it doesn't hurt to go to the bookstore and maybe look at a few of the things and see if there's anything that interests you because that, of course, helps keep them in business. One of the other cool things that was going on while we were there is they had a special lionfish display and they had somebody talking about the lionfish as an invasive species in Florida. And after my girls heard about this, you know, the typical environmentalists that my little six and seven year old are, they were set on spotting the lionfish and reporting the lionfish and saving the day. So the rest of our trip, they, every time they were in the reef, they were looking for the lionfish so they could report them and try to get them out of the Florida waters. (laughs) So 
really cute. They did a great job of, of making it interesting for the kids and including them in that. So great place if you're wanting something educational. Another place to visit, not necessarily so educational, but still exciting, is the southernmost point. So this is, they claim, the southernmost point in the United States. And there's this huge um, concrete pillar. It's been painted red and black and yellow. And you've probably seen pictures of people who have taken their picture here, and we're one of them. So you kind of wait in a line. And it took us maybe 30 minutes or so to wait in the line for our chance to get our picture at the front. The nice thing about waiting in line is you can look at some of the houses that are nearby and see kind of the details of the the buildings and what was important in the infrastructure and talk about that with your kids. And we also kind of got to meet the people that were in front of us and behind us and had them take our picture when it came time for us to get up to the point. So. We were able to chat with some people and, oh, somebody was selling some coconut water. So they were just drilling the hole in the coconut, putting a straw in there. And the kids loved having a coconut water. That was something they've never experienced in Colorado, as you can imagine. So that was a fun thing to do. And of course, that's free because it's just outside. The next two things I wanted to mention are things that we actually skipped. We didn't bother doing. And I'll tell you why, but it's something that a lot of people do go to see. And that's the Hemingway House and the Audubon House. So the Hemingway House, of course, is where Ernest Hemingway lived. And it it's basically his house. It's a house. There's a lot of cats that are there, kind of the six-toed cats that are famous for being at the Hemingway House. It was almost $20 a person, or at least for adults. I, I think the kids were a little cheaper, but... My kids didn't really know who Hemingway was, and I tried ahead of time to prepare them, and I thought I would maybe try to read a Hemingway book and realize that there wasn't really anything that I thought appropriate for them. So we ended up, they ended up not really knowing who Hemingway was, and they didn't care about seeing some old house. So we skipped that. Same with the Audubon house. We actually have done a lot of stuff about Audubon, and um throughout kind of our bird studies this last year but he didn't actually even live there they have a lot of his prints along inside of the house um, and up so it might be interesting to see and uh, if you're into that it might be great but I think for the kids it, it wasn't really something that they wanted to do so we skipped that but a lot of people do go to see that another thing though that we did do was go to Mallory Square so this is a famous square it's actually right along the coast on the Gulf of Mexico side and there's street performers that are here at night and there's beautiful views so this is the place you want to go when the sun is setting and there's a bunch of people out doing cool stuff and there's places to eat there so you can stop at one of the restaurants nearby and eat and everything that we saw was family friendly so we weren't quite sure if it was going to be appropriate for the kids but it ended up being just fine so mallory square was great and then the last thing to mention is Duval Street. So this is the famous street in the downtown of Key West. And there's a bunch of different shops and different things to see. We happened to have our first day in Key West was Saturday, November 10th. And we were thought, we thought, oh, let's just drive into town and just walk Duval Street and see where the night takes us. So we did that. And there happened to be an amazing Veterans Day parade. And let me tell you, the people in Key West know how to throw a parade. They had all different branches of the military represented. Um, of course, they do have a naval air station that's there. And then, of course, they have Coast Guard there. So they had a bunch of different servicemen and women, which was really great to see. There were different people with floats and cars, and they were throwing candy. 
there happened to be a guy who was walking by us and he had a parrot on his shoulder. And that's just the kind of stuff that you see in Key West. And so it was really a cool experience. Duval Street in general is a great experience and and neat to see and somewhere that you'd want to explore. Um, But if there's a parade going on, even better. And then a few of the things that we didn't do includes um, there's a paid aquarium in town. We didn't really feel like we needed to go to the paid aquarium after going to the Eco Discovery Center because we were fine with that. It's not super expensive. I think it's about $15 for an adult and $10 for a child. And then there's a shipwreck museum, which is meant to have kind of some pirate-related stuff and talk about shipwrecks in history. And uh, we thought about that too, but just didn't quite do that. And the last thing is the conch tour trains. So there's these little trains that will take you around Key West and drop you off at the different points and then, of course, come back and pick you up. So if you don't have a vehicle, that might be a good way to see most of Key West and the big highlighted pieces of Key West without having to worry about renting a car or parking a car. Um, All you have to do is kind of get into Key West or a little bit closer to Key West. So those are some of the features of the things that we saw and really enjoyed. Oh, and I almost forgot a very important one. So Fort Zachary Taylor is not the only old fort that is in Key West that it's known for. There's another really cool fort, and that fort is called Dry Tortugas. So this fort is actually located 70 miles from Key West on its own little island or key, and it's an old fort that was used to protect us, mostly kind of even way back into the Civil War times, and briefly it was used as a prison. Apparently, the physician who worked on John Wilkes Booth served some prison time down here in Dry Tortugas. So now what's standing is the old fort. You can walk around. It's a national park, so of course they have the Junior Ranger program there and rangers and some different information. One of the best features about Dry Tortugas is the snorkeling and scuba diving that's in the area. So beautiful crystal clear water and just huge areas with all the reef where you can explore and go in there. Now our kids were kind of just barely comfortably swimming. They became comfortable enough with their swimming to go without life jackets by the end of our Florida trip. But when we first came into Key West, we weren't quite comfortable with them being without life jackets. They weren't exposed to any snorkeling before. Um, We don't do a lot of that in Colorado. So we didn't know that this would be the best use of our time with the kids being the ages that they are. So I think if you have kids that are a little bit older and they're able to snorkel and now the next time we go back down, we will for sure go out to dry tortugas, but it just wasn't worth it for us at this trip. And let me tell you how you get there. So There's two ways you can get to Dry Tortugas. The first is with a ferry ride, and the ferry boards at about 7.30 in the morning in Key West. It's about $180 for an adult and $125 for a child, and it'll take you out to the island. It takes about two hours, and you can visit Dry Tortugas. You get to have lunch there, and then you come back on the ferry returning to Key West at about 5.15. So it ends up being a full day. We had a dog with us who was in the RV and it it just wouldn't have been fair to leave her in the RV for that huge extended amount of time either. So we decided the ferry tour was probably not a great option for us. If you don't have time for the ferry tour, there's also an option of doing a seaplane. And the seaplane only takes about a half hour to get out there. 
And then you can do a half day where you spend two and a half hours on dry tortugas and then it picks you back up and brings you back. Or you could do a full day where you spend six and a half hours on dry tortugas and the seaplane picks you back up. So if you do the half day, it's $356 for an adult, $285 for a child. Or if you do a full day, it's $625 for an adult and $500 for a child. So not a low price to get out there. So if you have little ones and you're just going to have to be worrying about a toddler running into the reef and drowning, I would not recommend doing dry tortugas yet at this stage. It's just, it's too expensive of a thing and your kids will get more out of it if they're a little bit older. But I still think it's a really cool thing to see. So next time we do a trip down to Florida, we look forward to hitting up dry tortugas. So those are some of the great things to see. Next, we're going to talk about where to stay and the camping options. So if you're driving down in your RV to Key West or the Keys in general, there's plenty of places to stay. Some of the best places to stay are, of course, the state parks. So if you can get into a state park, which would include you have the John Pennekamp Coral Reef State Park, which is in the northern, the upper keys. Bahia Honda, which is in the lower keys. Those are great options to stay at. I actually don't know the length limits for the RV. I'm not sure if that's what deterred us from staying at Bahia Honda, or it might have been that it hadn't been reopened yet after the hurricane. Um, but you're going to want to check that and you're going to want to book early. Like that's one of those places where when, if it opens up six months ahead of time, you wake up at, you know, midnight and, or seven in the morning, whenever it opens and you get that booked to try to get it. There's a lot of people that snowbird and come down to Florida during the winter months. And so it can be really hard to get into RV parks anywhere in Florida, um, but particularly these state parks. So if you can't get into a state park, some of the, your other options are, Fiesta Key has a great Encore RV resort and we've liked the Encore RV resorts when we've stayed at them. We saw this one from the highway and it looks amazing. Oh, and our in-laws actually stayed here with their RV. They were able to stay on a spot that was right on the beach. They could just get out of the RV and be walking onto the beach and into the ocean. So if you really want that immersive experience where you're right on the beach and you get to just explore, this is the place to go. Now it kind of is in the middle of the Keys. So you've got it probably a good, you know, 40 minute plus drive if you head up north all the way to the events in Marathon and probably about 40 minutes to drive down into Key West. So location, you just need to know that it's a little bit further from those places if that matters to you. If you want to be right in Key West, Boyd's RV Resort is here, and I've heard good things about that. We drove through Boyd's RV Resort and um, felt that the spaces might have been a little tight, but, you know, what are you going to expect? Spaces at a premium in Key West. I couldn't tell if there were places on the water. I'm sure on the website they tell you more about that, but the ones we saw were just kind of pull-throughs back-to-back with each other. Um, but it does put you centrally located right into Key West where all the action's at. You're actually kind of on the northern end of Key West. So you could bike your, take your bike and bike it into town, but it's, I think you're going to get sick of that. You're still going to want to have some sort of vehicle with you, even staying in actual Key West at Boyd's RV Resort. You'd want another vehicle to get into downtown and be down near where most of the action's at. The other place to mention is the place where we actually stayed, which was the Blue Water Key RV Resort. And 
ever since we saw the Blue Water Key RV Resort, we said that we needed to stay there. So when we were planning our Florida trip, um, a year in advance, we went onto the website to try to find out where we could stay. I think we were off season technically by just a few weeks because it was early November. So the rates that we had, I think might be off season, but uh, don't quote me on that. It might've been, it might've been considered the, the winter season, which is the prime season. We were able to stay there. We stayed for seven nights, um, eight days. And some of the benefits of this resort Oh, and I should let you know that it's located in the Saddle Bunch Keys. So this is just past Key West. So just as you're coming up in the lower keys, it's about 20 minutes from downtown Key West. So it was a good location. Another great thing is that the sites are just beautiful. So we're talking about pavers and beautiful stamped concrete pads and big palm trees and things dividing you from your neighbors and even fencing. And they have these amazing tiki huts. So almost all of the sites have a tiki hut. The sites are privately owned by people. So they've decorated them and put in tiki huts or or concrete or whatever they want based on their preference. So the sites are all a little bit different. Ours had pavers and a concrete pad and a full tiki hut and then kind of a landscaped area that was right on the water. We had a dock that went right into the water and then there was another dock if we had had any sort of water boat or stuff with us. We had brought our paddleboard so we were able to store that on there. Uh, we were able to just paddleboard right into the reef. So there was maybe about a six foot drop of the water off our dock. But once you just swam a little bit further into the bay, you're literally in like two feet deep water where you are on top of the reef. And we found that instead of swimming on this, it was actually a lot better to lay on the paddleboard and then put our heads underwater with the snorkeling gear to be able to see the sea anemones and the reef and everything else that was just swimming around in the water without disturbing the water. So that was a great way to see it. Um, the one time my kids decided that they were going to stand in the water uh, was a bad idea because the seven-year-old kicked up a jellyfish and she got stung on her foot. And when she kicked it, it kicked up onto the six or the um, six-year-old who ended up getting stung all along her legs. And just so you know, if you do have a kid who is stung by a jellyfish, vinegar works to bring down that burn. We didn't happen to have any vinegar with us, but we did have some balsamic vinegar. So we lathered her leg up in balsamic vinegar and she smelled good enough to eat, but it helped bring down the sting for her. So that's the way to do that. Back to Blue Water Key though, one of the other things we loved was the privacy because you do have so much landscaping between you and your neighboring spot and you have this tiki hut, it's very private and um, it does have a pool. So you have those other some of those other amenities and features. Some of the negatives, um, you can't do any campfires, so there's no fires allowed there. It was a quieter and older crowd. So we met a family that had kids at the pool on the first day, and it was a lot of fun for the girls, and they got to play with these other girls, and it was great, and then they left the next day, and we never saw another child. So it's, it's definitely an older crowd, and it's not the kind of place where you're hanging out outside past nine o'clock and you're not letting your kids roam around or ride their bikes around the campground or anything like that. So um, you just need to know that going into it if you do have kids with you. Also, there is no late check-in. So you have to be sure that you get to the site 
by 5 p.m. before the office closes. And because of that, we were leaving the Cape Canaveral Kennedy Space Center the night, um, well, a few days before, and we decided that that was pushing it too close to try to make that RV journey all the way down Florida and then through the overseas highway. So instead, we stayed just outside of Miami on the way down there the night before, and then all we had to traverse was the overseas highway to get into the to get to Saddlebunch Keys to where Blue Water Key Resort is at. And I highly recommend doing that, just staying somewhere that's at the bottom part of Florida. And then if there's an accident or something that's blocking you on the keys, you're not worried about trying to make it to your campsite that next night. So that's some of the details on Blue Water Key Resort. If you want to see a video review, I actually have a video posted on our YouTube channel. Just look up RV Homeschool channel on YouTube and you should be able to find it and see some video of this beautiful place. So where would you want to stay before going to the Keys? So if you are going to be in the southern part of Florida, there's quite a few options. We stayed at the Miami Everglades RV Resort and this is located just outside of Miami. Their address probably technically is Miami. It's probably 20 minutes from Biscayne National Park and then it's maybe 40 minutes from Everglades National Park. So it's kind of a good midpoint if you want to go see those national parks while you're down there. And if you're going to the Florida Keys, you might as well go down to those two national parks. The other cool thing about being at going to Biscayne and Everglades, is if you take the time to go to the Big Cypress National Preserve, which is kind of right along the Everglades, and by the way, where we saw the most amount of alligators, then you can go ahead and get finish up the three parks and get extra special badges that relates to those three parks. So the Florida parks have something that's specific to Everglades, Biscayne and Big Cypress and so if you're doing all three of those parts it's a special junior ranger program so kind of a cool thing be sure to ask about that if you um, if nobody's telling you about that right away and the kids can do that as well so those are some of the features of Key West and traveling to Key West with your kids and trying to have some fun activities things that maybe are a splurge on the budget and things that are free and the options that you have and the places to stay. So hopefully this was useful for you and we look forward to the next adventure. Thanks for joining us. 